grave is empty. I love that. Well, happy Easter, everyone, or better put, happy Resurrection Sunday. And, you know, it's just really cool for us to have this celebration that, I mean, I was telling everybody I was inviting all week long, hey, even the devil goes to church on Easter. So I was, you know, trying to prod people to come here. But it's really awesome to see everyone that comes out and the times. And, of course, we chose that this is the one day of the year that we're going to dress up. And I'm wearing a suit and a tie. Don't get used to it. Next week I'm going to be in my jeans and a nice shirt again. But, you know, it is fun to do something and to step it up once in a while. And for all those people who like and think we should dress up more often, this is your one day a year that you're happy. So hopefully everybody else is happy as well all through the years as we go through. I love that video and how it just kind of set the scene. And as I was listening to my office and choosing which one I was going to play, I just wanted to just keep like looping it back. Like, no, I can just listen to that music all day long. I don't know about you, but that's just really, really awesome. So I want to take us straight into the scriptures um, this morning and, and just right to where it was talking about the tomb was empty. So in Luke chapter 24, if you have your Bibles, you can follow along with us or it's going to be on the screen. Chapter one, um, chapter 24, verse one. But very early on Sunday, morning, the women went to the tomb taking the spices that they had prepared. Now, I think everybody knows the story of Jesus, but I'm just going to kind of recap it a little bit for you. God sent his son to the earth to be the permanent sacrifice for our sins. Now, the Bible says many places that we've all sinned and we fall short of the glory of God. We all have messed up. We've all made mistakes. And, and I, I've come to this firm conclusion. I don't have to tell anyone their mistakes. Everybody knows when you've made a mistake. You know those things. Even a child, when you say, did you take that cookie? And they've got it behind their back. They go, Mm-mm-mm. They know they did wrong. We all know when we did wrong. So God sent his son. And then the permanent sacrifice and this is where it gets really kind of churchy and kind of gets like I don't understand that I had someone this week says I don't I don't understand why God would kill his own son and that just sounds so weird and how could I love a God that does that and and you know there's a whole lot of things that I don't have to understand to understand the goodness of God but it was part of the plan for the perfect man Jesus to come and he walked where we walk He felt what we feel. He went through everything we did, and he proved to us that we can do this by tapping into God. We had a Good Friday service, and in that message, I I just really loved the the seven last things that Jesus said. And if if you weren't here, you can go back to our our cotrdallas.tv, and it is up there for a little bit longer. You can go watch that. You hear the message. But the seven last phrases that Jesus said, and the last one was, and Father, I commend my spirit to you. And he's quoting Psalms. And in the middle of him dying in the last breath, and then he gave up his life for us, as we're going to see, he was quoting Psalms where David was talking about, I've got all of these things that are troubling me, and then on the other side, but I just got to put my faith in you. And right smack dab in the middle of that is that exact thing that Jesus said is his last words. But Father, I give you my spirit. And he showed us that even when we go through difficult times, that really what we got to do is we got to posture ourselves. But then when there's a place you got to just come and say, God, I give it all to you. So Jesus died. They put him in the grave and they thought that was the end of the story. I mean, wouldn't you? I mean, no one had ever seen someone raised from the dead before. Jesus, when he was on the 
on the path and he's in his ministry time he raised a couple of people from the dead but short of him being the one you know saying Lazarus come forth or some of the other things no one had ever risen from the dead still to this day I have not seen somebody raised from the dead have you I mean it's not the norm it's not the thing that's just happening all the time so they thought wow that was a good run Man, we had a good time whenever it was all going. Jesus, and we're going to all these places. And, you know, he's turning these, these food in. He's just making it for 5,000 people and 12,000 people eat and all this stuff. But I guess it's all over now. So there, where we're finding them here, they're just picking up. And they're just doing what is the normal part of the burial procedure. Of course, they didn't have embalming. They didn't have all the stuff we got going on today. So they'll just wrap you all up and then they'll pour these spices over you to try and help it not to get really, really yucky in that tomb. They found as they walked there, verse two, the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. Now you may recall that the, the, everybody was a big, big contentious thing, similar to what we've got going on right now, that people either like the president or they don't like the president. If you like the president, everything he does is good. If you don't like him, everything he does is wrong. And everybody's afraid that somebody else is going to make something else happen. And all this contention is going on, and that same thing was going on there with Jesus. They're like, man, the disciples are going to roll that stone away, and they're going to go steal his body away, and they're going to come and say, oh, he was raised from the dead. And they said, no, we can't do that. So they put these big, huge centurion guards out there, and they put this massive stone over it. And when they came up, they found that stone had been rolled away. So they went in. But they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they stood there puzzled. Wouldn't you? If you went to the cemetery to visit a loved one, and all of a sudden it's just open, (laughs) and and there's nothing there, and the casket's open, you look down inside there, and there's nothing in there, wouldn't you just kind of stand there going, what in the world? They're puzzled and they're not really sure what's going on. And it says, two men suddenly appeared to them clothed in dazzling robes. The women were terrified and bowed with their faces to the ground. Now, again, I want you to put yourself. They're standing there. They've walked into the grave. Now, they, they've seen everything. It's this cave. And it's got this door. And this huge rock has rolled out. They thought Jesus was in there. And as they're sitting there, all of a sudden, Whoa! these two guys, this, you know, all this stuff's going on. Wouldn't you be scared? I'd be scared. I'd be like, ah! and they bowed their faces to the ground. They're sucking dirt. They're like, oh, my gosh, what's going to happen? I mean, what is going on here? Then the men said, Why are you looking for the living among the dead? Why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive? What kind of crazy question is that? We saw him crucified. We saw his body brought here. We saw the the big rock pulled out here. We saw it sealed. We saw the centurion guards here. And we come here and it's it's pulled away. I mean, this is all confusing and why wouldn't I look for him? I'm, I'm coming to put the, the burial spices. This is what we do. And he's showing them. Why are you here looking for someone who is alive? And then they go on, verse 6. He isn't here. He has risen from the dead. Can I tell you that many people today still look for the living in dead places? But I want to ask you a question. Who is this Jesus? I kind of gave you a brief just overview of it all. But who is this Jesus and how does it really play into who I am and and my life and how that affects me from day to day? I mean, today we're here on Easter Sunday or Resurrection Sunday. But what about tomorrow? 
What about Tuesday? What about Wednesday? What about hump day? I mean, what about all this stuff? How is that going to help me? In that Good Friday service, when we looked at the seven last words, phrases that Jesus had, there was one part that just really, really stuck out to me. That here, Jesus was not just crucified by himself. He's crucified with two other criminals. The worst of the worst. And he's got one on his right and one on his left. Now, they were really, really bad guys. I mean, like, they'd be on the FBI top ten most wanted people kind of things of where they are. They're really, really bad. Worst of the worst. And they deserve to die. So they're being crucified right alongside with Jesus. In Luke chapter 23... Verse 39, we pick up this part of the story. Again, I know we're backtracking a little bit, but I want you to tie this in. One of the criminals hanging beside him, also crucified, scoffed and said, So, you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself and us, too, while you're at it. You hear that sarcasm, that just forwardness of him? Just like, if you're really this person, let's see you do something. Let's see you produce a miracle. But the other criminal protested and said, don't you fear God even when you've been sentenced to die? I mean, this is the end of the road. You have no wiggle room. You're not getting out of here. You're going to die right where you're at, just like I am. He continues to say, we deserve to die for our crimes. See, people know when they've done wrong. They're there, and they're no. They're, this is the end of the road. They've been caught, they've been sentenced, and now they're being executed in this really horrific way. And he continues, he says, but this man hasn't done anything wrong. Then he said to Jesus, and this is the most amazing thing to me, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He, as this terrible criminal, the worst of the worst, recognized who Jesus was and recognized the difference in himself and in Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but as I put myself in the Bible, as I think about this whole thing, that's the worst of the worst. You're like, dude, you made some really bad choices and you're paying for them right now with your life. Your very life is being taken from you now. And you're going to call out to God? I mean, there's no hope for you. But he recognized Jesus' position and authority, and Jesus replied to him, I assure you today, you will be with me in paradise. See, even the worst of the worst, who had done all these terrible things, sent us to die, is in the midst of being executed, is called out to God, and even he, Jesus says, today you will be with me. Even in their last moments before death, Jesus gave the opportunity and told the one who asked for repentance, today you will be with me. What about those people in your life? Those people that you would look at and I would look at and think, man, there is no hope for you. You're just really bad. You've, you just keep making the same mistakes over and over and over again. I am writing you off. Maybe a parent has disowned someone and says, you know, I just had it with you. And I, I heard some stories this week about that. The interesting thing, every time I think about this, is I think about sports. And I'm not a sports guy at all, as everyone in my family, particularly Andrew, can attest to you. I am not into sports. I don't understand most of them. Basketball, I was all right with. But the rest of my, it just doesn't make sense to me. It's like, it's a big waste of time. But I think about the Super Bowl. 
In the Super Bowl, everybody watches, and I watch for the commercials. I'm going to be honest with you. That's the best part of it for me. I can kind of follow along what's going on. But every Super Bowl, what happens? At halftime, there is the status of the game. But if we judged it by there, it wouldn't be accurate. If we judged it by the third quarter, still wouldn't be accurate. In fact, oftentimes when it comes to the Super Bowl, it's the last few minutes that it ekes out. And that's when it's really exciting to watch because, like, I don't even know if, I'm re- if the Cowboys aren't in there. I don't really care who wins. But it, I'm just like, who's going to win if this one? Will and then you see these credible plays. You see all this stuff. It's like, wow, but it's in the last seconds. And that's exactly what we find here. This guy's in the last seconds of his life. The rest of the game may have been terrible how he played it. But even in the last moments, Jesus says, I'm here for you. Those people in our lives that have made mistakes often over and over and over and over. And I could just keep going saying over. And you're like, how many times have you given second chances and 500th chances and all these things? And you just keep messing up. Jesus is still there for them. Very often I'm told, there's no hope for me, Pastor Kevin. You know, you're inviting me in my church, your church, and, you know, if I come in there, the water's going to boil. There's going to be a lightning bolt that comes down here, and, you know, the ground's going to... And no, even in this example, the worst of the worst, Jesus was there for. Today, this message may be for you, or maybe it's for somebody that you know. Even where you're at, Jesus loves you, and there is a hope. See, the story of Jesus is about love. God's love. Now, one of the most famous scriptures that Tim Tebow made more famous by writing it on his face, this isn't a football-themed day, but it's just kind of, kind of falling out there. Everybody knows John three sixteen. so humor me and go there, and let's look at it. For God so loved, or loved the world so much, that he gave his one and only Son, and that's what we're celebrating now with Easter, Resurrection Sunday, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God loved so much everyone who believes. Now that's what everyone knows that scripture. But the next one is equally important to me and it's like one of the foundations of our church. It goes on and says, God sent his son into the world not to judge. Not to judge the world, but to save. See, the story of Jesus is he didn't come to judge everybody and say, you're doing wrong, and you're doing wrong, and you're really, really wrong, and you, the guy next to me on the cross, is like the worst of the worst. Man, there's no hope for you. No, the story of Jesus is love. That embrace it says, today you will be with me in paradise. See, God's love covers every sin. But we can only comprehend the sins that we have done to date. And somehow, we just kind of calculate them and, you know, we say, you know, I I keep making the same mistake myself, but today's the day I quit. Tomorrow, I'm not going to do this. And and then tomorrow, we're like, oh, gosh, I did it again. And and we're in these situations. But we have, if you're like me, the, the mentality that it's only the sins that I've done to now. But can I suggest you something? And, and I got this from Dr. Holler from Christ for the Nation, so full disclosure. Um, he says, Jesus died on the cross and paid for all of your sins. 2,000 years ago. 
all the sins that you would ever commit in your life. And he knew you from the beginning of time. He knew everything. Your, your last breath, he knew. And he still chose you and said, I'm going to forgive you. So that means every sin you've committed up to today, everything you've done wrong, everything that you wish you could go back and change, and everyone you're going to do, he said, I still say you're worth it. See, Jesus didn't just die for people in the church. Can I say that again? Jesus didn't just die for people in the church. He did it for everyone. And God hasn't changed his mind about you. Psalm 139, this is my favorite verse, chapter in the entire Bible. Verse 16 says, you saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. So even before I was born, God, you knew everything. How precious are your thoughts about me? Can I tell you, no matter where you're at this morning, whether you're listening to us in this room or watching us on the live stream, if you're listening to the podcast later, all the different venues and abilities you could be listening to, God has wonderful thoughts about you. He goes on to say, they cannot be numbered. If I could, if I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand. And when I wake up, you're still with me. Can I tell you, when you wake up, even after a night that you go, oh gosh, what did I do? I heard a comedian last night as I was driving home. He's like, you know, it's really, really bad when you, you can't remember what happened the night before and you call your friends and you just wait to hear if they just like act normal. If they go, oh, now you're awake. Oh, now and you're like, oh gosh, what did I do? See, when you wake up, he's still there with you. Nothing can separate you from Jesus, from God's love. Romans 8, 38 says, but I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate me from God's love. Neither death or life, neither the angels or demons, neither fears for today or our worries about tomorrow. And can I just pause right there? Because so many people that I talk to get caught up on their fears for today. I don't know what to do today. I don't know how I'm going to make it through. And then when they think about tomorrow, man, I'm, I'm just worried about tomorrow. What's, what's it going to hold? What's it going to hold for my children? None of those things can separate us from God. Nor even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all of creation will ever be able to separate us from the love that is revealed in Christ. Now, what is that love that's revealed? That God sent his son to come and die for our sins and not to judge us, but to say, here is a way out. God is for you. Romans 5, 8 says, but God demonstrated his own love towards us, towards me, towards you. That while we were yet sinners, while we were still far from God, Christ died for us. God loves you. As we celebrate Easter or Resurrection Sunday, we celebrate Jesus having been crucified on the cross. But it wasn't the nails that held Jesus to the cross. See, they told him, hey, if you're really the Messiah, if you're really this great person over here, Let's do something. Let's see you just bring yourself down. He could have. 
He could have done anything. You know, Ham says he could have called 10,000 angels and they were just ready on, just they're going to, bam, they're going to be there. He could have levitated off the cross and like I have my favorite thing to say, he could have made the nails go, just like, oh. He he could have done all those things. It wasn't the nails that held Jesus to the cross. It was love. It was his love for you. We all have areas in our life that are dead. But we continue to seek life there. It isn't going to work. It could be even relationships that once were healthy, or so you thought, but now it's a graveyard. And that same question could be asked, why are you looking for something that's alive in this place of dead? Could be your friends. Could be your environments. Where are you looking for life this resurrection morning? Because in every comic book and every um, superhero story and every movie, even in the old westerns that I grew up watching with John Wayne, there is the good guy that's just minding his own business, just getting along with everybody. Everybody loves him. And then there's the villain. There is the guy that's wearing the black and he's just always coming in. He's mad. And you see all this stuff. So you got Superman over here and then you've got the other people. You got Batman. You got all these, everything like that. There is the good and there's the evil because that's the same way in our life. See, Jesus talks about this as well. In John 10, 10, he says, the thief, the bad guy, the villain, comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. Doesn't that sound like the bad guy? Doesn't that sound like every comic you've ever read in your life? They just come and trying to maniacally, just, just try and just like tear it down and just, for no good reason, you haven't done anything to make him mad. He's just doing this because that's what bad people do. The thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. Jesus says, but I've come. That you have life and have it to the full. See, that's what we've been talking about for the last several weeks. And if you, you get our app and you listen on the podcast, you can hear a lot of these. We talked about living on incline. That we're either sliding into having our life stel- stolen or robbed or destroyed or killed from us. Or we're going upwards that life to the full. And it's, it's this great pull on either way. But I would ask you this morning. When it talks about life to the full. Is that what you have? Is that what you're even looking for? Do you think that's even possible for you? Are you falling into that category? No, there's no possibility for me. There's no way all that Jesus stuff can help me. You know, I don't really. uh, You could put up all the excuses. You may not even be looking for it. But where are you looking for life? See, because we can have many environments in our, in our society and how we live and the, the things our day-to-day, our Mondays, our Tuesdays, our Wednesdays that are graveyards. That we're kind of hoping that something great's going to come out of there. That old song that says, looking for love in all the wrong places. Maybe you're looking for, for life in a graveyard instead of in a church. Will you bow your heads and close your eyes with me this morning? I ask you to do this because this is a private moment, only between you and God. Let me ask you a question. What is your relationship with this Jesus? As we celebrate his resurrection, have you experienced new life? That's why he came. In just a moment, I'm going to lead anyone interested in a prayer to begin or renew a relationship. 
to experience new life, this resurrection life that we have today. But I'm not going to embarrass anyone. But if you want today to be your day, if you want to say, I want to be counted in, so you don't have to understand it all. You, You might not understand it for a while. But just that hope of a resurrected life, of finding new life where you've never found it before. If you want to say, count me in when you pray, I'm going to ask you to raise your hands. So if that's you right now, just raise your hand. You can put it down. Thank you. Anyone else? This prayer is between you and God, and I'm simply going to help you with the words. And I want you to say it out loud. This is, again, private. Say this prayer. Say, Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me. I give you my life, my hope, my future. I surrender it all to you. I come just as I am. I trust in you to reveal to me every step. And today forward, in the best way I know how, I'm going to live for you with all of my heart. Today, I give you my life. Father, I pray for everyone who prayed that prayer and all of us, Lord, that have heard this message. God, that we're all challenged to step into this great personal relationship with you. That, Lord, that we experience resurrected life. That we come to know you We come to find freedom from our past. We discover our purpose, and Lord, that ultimately we make the difference that you created us to make. Father, I give you this message. I give you today. Thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for being willing. Give it all to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.